to Tess Laurie. I studied medicine in South Africa and I've been in the UK since 2009. And in South Africa, I also did a PhD. So I have research experience and medical experience in South Africa. I was also mainly working in obstetrics. When I moved here, I established a company called the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy. And that's been to accommodate this new work that we're doing around ivermectin and other COVID-related research. We're completely independent. We have no conflicts of interest and we only work for nonprofit groups. And most of my work is used for the World Health Organization or the NHS or other clinical practice guidelines. I can just get this message across about this one medicine, ivermectin, because it's just a generic medicine, it's very, very cheap. So there's no pharmaceutical incentive to evaluate its, its range of effects. And we found that ivermectin reduced death by around 62%. Peru approved it uh, last year. They really benefited from it for the first six months. And then they had a new president in November who restricted the use of ivermectin and their death rates shot up again. We need to accept that we're going to hear some very negative things about ivermectin for political reasons. The MHRA is not acting in our best interest, that there is no trial underway on ivermectin in the UK. The MHRA is telling the pharmacists not to supply if it's for COVID because doctors are being threatened and intimidated. But the mainstream media is completely colluding uh, to suppress ivermectin. People are realizing and they are hearing and they are beginning to question why has this medicine been suppressed. Been suppressed. It's a fantastic opportunity today on Speaking Naturally to be talking to Dr. Tess Laurie. And uh, many of you will have heard of Tess's incredible work bringing to the fore the importance of one particular drug that can be repurposed to help us through this COVID crisis. Um, Tess, it's fantastic to have you on Speaking Naturally today. Thanks for inviting me, Rob. So, Tess, if we can just kick off, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I studied medicine in South Africa and I've been in the UK since 2009. And in South Africa, I also did a PhD. So I have research experience and uh, medical experience in South Africa. I was also mainly working in obstetrics, so pregnancy and childbirth. And um, whilst raising a family, I started doing more research-based activities and when I moved here, I established a company called the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy. So I'm uh, the director of the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy. And more recently, I've established the Evidence-Based Medicine Company Squared. It's a community interest company, EBMC Squared. And that's been to accommodate this new work that we're doing around ivermectin and other COVID-related um, uh, research. And Tess, who, who you're making these data available to? I, I gather it is organisations like the World Health Organisation. Yeah, so we're completely independent. We have no conflicts of interest and we only work for non-profit groups. And most of my work is used for the World Health Organisation or the NHS or other clinical practice guidelines. And it involves evidence synthesis and, and presenting, preparing evidence for 
expert panels to make decisions on whether to recommend treatments or interventions or not. Brilliant. So, okay, we, we, we have a um, someone with extraordinary background. Evidence synthesis is what it's all about. You're not a practicing doctor at the moment, so you are a research doctor, and that is a, a pretty important skill to, to have. So let's look at the problem, first of all. With, with COVID-19, your own view, having looked at the evidence, are we right um, as societies, as a global society, to be locking people down? Is this, does the, this particular pathogen, SARS-CoV-2, present the kind of threat that we're led to believe by, by health authorities? Well, I think certainly it does not pose an equal risk for all people. The majority of people who get COVID can recover without severe problems, particularly if early, if they are offered early treatment. And we know this from experts, expert clinicians around the world. For example, Hector Cavallo in Argentina has treated thousands of patients. And he says, if you treat early, you don't get uh, long COVID or bad consequences. So we, are we uh, talking here about self-treatment or are we looking at medical treatment for people with severe disease or both? We're talking about early treatment. So, you know, when you've got a positive PCR test or you've got mild illness, there's good evidence to show that the sooner you treat, the better. And uh, the better, you know, the better chance of not deteriorating, not ending up in hospital and not um, dying. And of course, there's, a, there's many different views on what those treatments might involve. Based on the best evidence you've been looking at, what kind of protocols take someone with um, very early stages of disease, still in the viral phase, they've tested positive, they're not feeling great, what would be the best treatment for these people? And well, we've been looking at ivermectin. You know, that's been my focus the past few months. And I, my, my feeling is if I can just get this message across, about this one medicine, ivermectin, it would make such a massive difference because it's such an effective treatment uh, as an antiviral and also it has anti-inflammatory properties. So it treats early disease and, and it also treats later disease, more severe disease. And, uh, and it's very, very safe. So, you know, people can, uh, it, it can be taken outside of hospitals. Um, and we know it's safe because it's been used for billions of doses as an antiparasitic. Just tell us a little bit about the background of ivermectin, because I, I first heard about it um, um, listening to Dr. Thomas Barodi in Australia, who'd obviously had a lot of experience um, working with dengue fever and ivermectin and started to see incredible results around um, COVID. So just maybe take us through a, a crash course in its history. It's such a fascinating story, actually. You know, it's um, it was discovered by Professor Satoshi Omura in Japan uh, while he was, he was taking soil samples because he was looking for useful medicines. And, um, and it was just, apparently it's discovered on a golf course of all places. And, uh, and it's, it's, um, it was in a bacteria, uh, although I've heard some people say it was a fungus, but I think it was a bacteria that it was found. And it, it was he isolated this um, avermectin and he sent it to a colleague in, at Merck, William Campbell. And together they developed um, 
the ivermectin as as a treatment and uh it was it was found to be very very effective against onchocerciasis which causes river blindness in africa and other poorer regions but because it was the poorest of the poor who suffered from this condition Merck couldn't make any money from it. They needed to make $3 or something, and they wouldn't be able to get even a single dollar per treatment for these poor people. So around about 1987, Merck actually gifted ivermectin to the world, and, and it received a lot of kudos for that because it was seen to be a very uh, wonderful humanitarian action by a pharmaceutical company. Wow. Yeah. It- and- yeah. They, they, we, we, our research group at Imperial College, we had a group that were working on plant nematodes, and of course they were working on avermectin. So um, yeah. specifically as a plant nematicide, a natural plant nematicide. So for me it was extraordinary to see how it had come into the, you know, use for as a human medicine as well. Yes. Uh, well, it's also used quite widely in livestock, uh, animals with for um, you know eradicating worms, um, but um, it soon became known to be useful against other kinds of parasites and scabies and lice and so it's in various preparations and it's used around the world. It's not just in low and middle income countries. It's used um, commonly amongst elderly people in old age homes, you know, to prevent uh, or manage scabies outbreaks. And um, so it's a very, very widely used medicine. And over the years, there have been papers that have come out suggesting it might have anti-cancer properties or antiviral properties, but there's never really been any huge investment in research to to demonstrate or further that, that, um, that research. And I'm guessing it's probably because it's just a generic medicine. It's very, very cheap. So there's no pharmaceutical incentive to to um, to evaluate its its range of, of effects or efficacy. So, so, so the break the breakthrough in terms of SARS-CoV two and COVID nineteen. When did that happen? Was it was it prior to Thomas Barodi's work, or was that? It's, it was in it was in in March last year. Um, that the an Australian group, Monash University, um, were looking at um, at ivermectin for COVID, and they they did a uh, in vitro study using monkey cells, and they showed that within forty eight hours they reduced the virus by about five thousand percent or something, five thousand times. So so um, so that made big news. And so some people started on the basis of that study, you know, just common sense saying, well, some doctors saying, well, this is um, a very safe medicine. We know this because it's been used so many times and all the pharmacovigilance databases prove this. We've been using it for worms. We have it. It's available and it's cheap. We're just going to give it a go because people are dying. You know, this was, this was in countries like Honduras and Peru. So you so you've looked at all of the data from a safety point of view. Have you found any safety issues, any particular population groups that might be potentially uh, suffer side effects as a result of using ivermectin? I think the concerns with ivermectin, um, from a safety point of view, relate to people who have cerebral 
worms. Uh, and, um, and what has been reported is that people who have cerebral worms can sometimes, when the worm dies after being treated, can uh, have, a, have a severe reaction in the brain. So, so, that, um, so that has been documented, but obviously one wouldn't be expecting that in the population we're treating for COVID. Clearly keep, keep the worms in your brain, don't try and kill them. Is that, is yeah. there... And if you just look more broadly, you know, you always see there'll be a report saying, especially because there's lots of negative publicity building and, and accumulating on ivermectin because it poses such a threat to the COVID pharmaceutical industry. Well, let, can uh, we look that... at can we look at that? So so yeah. the the uh, obviously since the discovery at Monash, a lot has happened. There are over 20 trials, you know, you can go onto clinicaltrials.gov and see all these. So, so first of all, what, do, what does that evidence look like in a nutshell? And then let's move to looking at the politics that's going on here as well. Okay, well, look, I've looked at the evidence from a few different ways, uh, but the way that is sort of the standard approach that I would look at it uh, for a clinical practice guideline is to do a Cochrane-style review, including randomized controlled trials only, which is just a fraction of the number of studies, uh, available studies on ivermectin. And then if it's appropriate to pool the data, you get a summary estimate of, eff of effect. So if you can imagine um, 15 studies all report whether people died or not and how many in each treatment arm, the treatment or the control arm, uh, and then um, those effects accumulate into a summary estimate. So you get a, an overall effect of all those data from the different trials. Um, we found that ivermectin reduced death by around 62%, and death was the most important outcome. And it depended, and, and in actual fact, that's probably an underestimate, because if you look at mild to moderate disease, when it's used early, it's more likely to be a 90% reduction in death. And can you just qualify that, Tess? Is that against a standard a control in which you do nothing, or is it with standard of care, and what does that care look like? So what happens is, is both groups get exactly the same, whatever it is, and then the, and then the ivermectin arm gets ivermectin as well. So, I mean, in early disease, often it is literally ivermectin or nothing, you know. Um, and um, there were a couple of studies that had ivermectin plus doxycycline versus nothing. Um, and we included those in the meta-analysis as well. And we didn't, uh, we, we checked to see whether that had any effect on the findings and it didn't. So we thought, well, that's fine. We'll just keep it in. There were other studies. Um, there were a couple of studies that compared ivermectin with hydroxychloroquine. So that's sort of one active treatment with another active treatment. So, but hydroxychloroquine was considered not to be effective anyway. You know, which which actually we know is not the case because it clearly is effective. Mm. Um, but um, the point is that by including those studies, what we did was we underestimated the effect of ivermectin rather than overestimated it. And when, when you look at all the other possibilities of treatments, if we look at available evidence, is, is ivermectin kind of kingpin? Is it the best solution? Or, or have you seen any other 
drugs or natural products or anything else out there that that might just in terms of its a single particular intervention might be better or i think all clinicians will agree at this point that for treatment you need a, a combination therapy so i'm very keen to just to get ivermectin approved as one of the one of the the core medicines that we can be using early on but it really should be given in, in alongside vitamin D, which is very important in maintaining the immune system, and and zinc and vitamin C. But in terms, but but those don't need approval in a sense. You know, ivermectin is the is the the drug we really need to get approved as quickly as possible. And you know, I'd be happy to go on and look at hydroxychloroquine again. In light of what's come out since the, you know, the debacle last year with the um, fraudulent trials and so on, so um, that needs relooking again. And there are doctors, certainly, you know, and one has to listen to doctors. They're on the ground. They are wanting to save their patients. They are telling me that if they have a a, a variant and the new variant in Brazil uh, responds well to ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. So yes, my job is evidence synthesis, but that doesn't mean I can't listen to the big picture. Uh, in, in actual fact, one needs to. The, the trials you've just described are looking at the effect of ivermectin on its own. What about trials? What, what you're describing is something that looks very much like the you know, frontline COVID-19 critical care alliances, IMAS protocol. How, how much data do we have for combinations, optimal combination therapies like you've described versus typical standard of care that you might get in a NHS ITU, for example? So we don't have, uh, we don't have many studies like that because um, the developed countries just haven't undertaken them. And a lot of the stuff that get, gets given in the ICU, they've, they've, they've spent they've spent um, billions on vaccines. Are you going to suggest that there are political reasons why these studies haven't? It would be an obvious thing to do, and it wouldn't cost you know cost a fraction of the amount of money compared with developing vaccines. It's actually too late to do trials now because there's enough evidence to show that ivermectin works and works well, and is is an essential medicine for COVID. So the trials should have been done last year in May, May, June, but, but they weren't. But now there's enough data from, from low and middle income countries that have done the trials. Um, they've been done by doctors with no conflicts of interest, just trying to get the message out there. Uh, just, just, you know, yeah. And, um, and the Western world is just... Some, some countries are, have got eyes wide open on this, haven't they? So the Czech Republic, can, can you just run through some of the countries that have really are listening to you, listening to the evidence synthesis and are doing something about it and are bringing in ivermectin as a key tool in the overall arsenal? Well, there are lots of countries that are already using it and we're like, you know, they're way ahead of us. Uh, that's Zimbabwe, um, Honduras, Bolivia, and the other South American countries. 
Peru approved it uh, last year. They really benefited from it for the first six months. And then they had a new president in November who's, who obviously was influenced by the prevailing authority, authorities. And, um, and he restricted the use of ivermectin and their death rates shot up again. Um, in terms of countries that are listening, Philippines, the doctors want to use it and the authorities have um, approved a manufacturer to, to manufacture it locally. Uh, and so that's definitely a step in the right direction. It's very easy to manufacture, you know, uh, so any country, um, any, you know, setup in the UK uh, should be able to uh, manufacture it without much difficulty. The original, uh, sorry, I'm sort of sidetracking here, but the original patent was by Merck, and Merck, I believe, only provides about 5% of the of ivermectin worldwide now. Um, so in, in India or China, with all their generic ma manufacturing capacity, could, could produce it for the world very, very... Right. And in India as well, there are many, many, many manufacturers. So, uh, just where where is the Indian government given given all the talk about the new variants in India? Um, where is the Indian government? Where is Modi on ivermectin specifically? Well, they have approved uh, a, a protocol for use in mild and moderate COVID, where they say that it may be used. So it's not being rigorously recommended in all states. Uh, but the states are fairly autonomous, and so certain states are have implemented it rigorously. So there's Uttar Pradesh, um, Goa, and they've shown drop-offs now just a couple of weeks after that implementation. And compared with Tamil Nadu, Nadu sorry, that has taken Remdesivir up, and uh, and they're still continuing to see increasing. COVID. And remdesivir has a patent on it, and uh, ivermectin doesn't. I presume that's that's one of the issues. Uh, moving across the pond to the U.S., um, obviously we recall when um, the NIH decided that it would not block the use of ivermectin. Are there changes happening? And there's certainly been pressure in Congress on it, and a lot of questions asked. Where what's the up-to-minute situation in terms of the U.S.? I think generally there's a lot of pressure happening everywhere now because people are realizing and they are hearing and they are beginning to question why has this medicine been suppressed. It doesn't make sense and there seems to be double standards because when you look at the evidence on ivermectin and you look at the evidence on these new medicines, the evidence on ivermectin is so much more, so much richer uh, and, and so much more convincing. Uh, and yet they haven't issued emergency use authorization. In fact, they're, they're stalling everywhere and, and you know, and, you know um, led by the WHO saying we need more trials. There's, um, you know, everyone saying, oh, yes, okay, we'll do a trial. So even in this country, since January, we've had the principal trial supposedly including ivermectin. Well, they haven't yet, and yet... The Medicines Health Product Regulatory Authority Agency keeps sending out in its emails that there's a trial underway when we know that there is no trial underway on ivermectin in the UK. So, so, so far, Tess, you've talked mainly about um, early treatment. Obviously, um, um, our friends at the um, Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance 
also have a, a prevention protocol. Um, where are you at with prevention? Because if you have prevention, obviously, politically, we know there's a lot of political problems around this. Politically, we have an issue because then it goes absolutely bang into competition with, with vaccines, which are intended to provide, prevent serious disease. So on data, where are we at with prevention? And secondly, in terms of political will moves in legislation or recommendation, where are we with prevention? Well, I mean, they don't, uh, the authorities don't seem to even want to think about an alternative preventive strategy. But ivermectin certainly would be way up there. Uh, and uh, the in our review, we included three randomized controlled trials. There were only about um, I think it added up to about 738 participants in, this, in the trials, and they were mainly healthcare workers or family contacts of someone with COVID. And in that, we showed 5% risk of, uh, of COVID, getting a COVID infection in the ivermectin arm versus a 30% uh, risk of getting COVID infection if you're exposed in the control arm. So it seems to be very, very effective, comparably effective to the vaccines. And there's far more data than what's in our trials, which is frustrating, which I'm unable to show in, in our meta-analysis. But there are large studies that have been undertaken in other countries, thousands of people involved, and they show a similar effect. It's very, very effective as a preventive measure but, against COVID. So the, the, the single most common question we get asked is, where can you get it from? So I, I, if we can, the interesting thing is with prevention, people are less likely to be able to go to their GP. Um, uh, they're not sick, so they need, um, is, it, is it available as an OTC medicine that can be bought on the internet? Um, we, we certainly know a number of doctors who are um, able to prescribe it, you know, in the UK using the special scheme. But is that the only way? How do people get hold of it? And are there a range of ways of doing that? There are a range of ways. And I think you can put your feelers out on the uh, social media and um, and people will will um, find assistance. There are There is a doctor's prescribing group in the UK. And uh, but what I what I'm just trying to get across to the public is just to try and think more community rather than individual because we all need this and we need it for the country we need it for the world so we need people to to just think okay let me not think about myself right at this minute and can i help to get this message across because if everybody tells one person about ivermectin and that it works it would we would be very we would be very powerful. We would be able, we would, much more than than me and my colleagues trying to, you know, communicate to the authorities because the authorities don't want to hear us. But if people helped us and to get the message out, it would be much more effective. So, the, so that the grassroots pressure. So, people, in order to do that, people are looking um, to point people to authoritative evidence um, on your websites. Um, can you just give us um, an appropriate location that people can go to look at the evidence in one place to say, here's the evidence, this is why we all need to get behind this? 
Yes, so on our website, which is www.bird-group.org, um, there's a page for health professionals. So as a patient or a, a healthy person, you can download the systematic reviews that are on that page. There's a document, a full document, uh, which is called the Bird Proceedings Document, which has the evidence to decision profile. Um, evidence to decision framework, which is basically the framework, a standard framework uh, on, about how health decisions are made and that it's completed for ivermectin. And it's the one that shows that BIRD recommends ivermectin for prevention and treatment of COVID. So there's that page, but then there's also a page called Get Involved. And on that page, there's um, letters, letter templates for your GP, for your MP, there's um, frequently asked question sheet, and there's also um, uh, there's, there's there's a flyer that can be downloaded and shared, and we encourage that very strongly. Fantastic! So this is grassroots pressure. Glad to see you've got the uh, the letter to the MPs. Have you got um, any you know positive hope that um, the political system might come round, or do you think we're pretty much stuck in this? you know, very monolithic vaccine-focused system at the moment? Well, I think it will come around with, with public pressure because I don't think they can keep ignoring it because our paper's about to be published and it's been stalled. This is what's been happening is papers have been stalled. Journals have been hindering publication of papers from because of pressure from above or whatever the pressure is. And, um, and the press has also been um, hindering positive information of on ivermectin getting out but our paper is going to be published and that is undeniable evidence that ivermectin works and they will not be able to ignore it the, what i think it, it also could be something of a coup given that at the moment in uh, much of the industrialized world um the public is now being told to start to fear the possibility of Indian and other mutant variants coming through. One of the very strong cells with a combination approach of which ivermectin plays a part is that you are dealing with a multi-factorial, multi-system, multi-target approach that, in your view, is this going to be very helpful you know, pretty much regardless of what mutations we face. Absolutely. It works against all variants because it has many mechanisms of action. So it's not just blocking the virus. It's working on the immune system as well. Uh, so it's got a host um, effect as well uh, that, um, that, you know, it's and, and what needs to be remembered is that it's treatment. We don't have a treatment for COVID. So this is a treatment. Uh, it's not, uh, it happens to be a prevention as well, but, um, but uh, you know, the vaccines are all very well, but we still need a treatment for COVID. And if people can just remember there's a treatment for COVID, the government have known about it since last year, and they have not rolled it out. Well, look, um, Tess, that's fantastic. We, we're going to leave all the details, so don't worry about writing it down. It'll be on, on our website as well. Um, it really is a call to action, isn't it? This is it's time for people to get together. Um, you mentioned doctors prescribing groups, so it is available for people. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, when when we used to occasionally fly in airplanes. 
Um, you remember how, how we always get told from a safety perspective, get your own mask down before you deal with your children or loved ones. Um, I think many people feel a bit like that with ivermectin. They need to protect themselves so that they can protect others. So I think this is one of the reasons we keep getting asked, where can we get ivermectin from? Um, I think another point that people need to understand is that we need to accept that we're going to hear some very negative things about ivermectin for political reasons. So when you butt up against the authorities, what kind of response, negative response are you getting? So pe people need to adjust to this. And people send us their letters as well. And they always say um, there's insufficient evidence and we're monitoring the, the studies and um, they have the evidence. We've given them the evidence. And they will even respond to us to say, uh, thank you for your views. Uh, you know, they, won't, they won't acknowledge that it's evidence. <laughs> Um, and they're still looking at it and there's, there might be a study coming or there is a study underway. It's all totally inappropriate and just nonsense. And we need to, we need to call their bluff and uh, maybe it's a legal, a legal route, but um, maybe that's all that's left open to us now because the MHRA is not acting in our best interests. And, and what is fascinating is that, um, you know, in an emergency situation you're always going to be facing a lack of evidence and there's been this phenomenal rollout in vaccines without any evidence in fact even novel delivery systems for vaccines with no evidence yet it's been done so yeah, it, it seems um you know somewhat um well, hypocritical the MHRA actually even quoted Merck's statement so Merck has novel treatments in, in development for early disease and um, and they and they came out with a statement in February to say that ivermectin uh, there's no evidence that it's it works against COVID and also their concern safety concerns you know now they did the original safety studies they know it's the safest drug on the planet but um, I saw that so that's my and the and our medicines regulatory authority agency used that statement to say well this is you know this corroborates our position. And uh, it's really unacceptable. Are there any of the generic manufacturers who are becoming champions of ivermectin? You know, that they would have a vested interest in selling lots of it. Um, surely there have got to be people who are making it who are also really supporting the cause. They are in other countries. Um, but in this country, because it wasn't on, it's on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines, but because worms is not a big thing in this country, it never, it, it's not on our list of essential medicines. So it has to get formal approval. Although as doctors, usually one is allowed to prescribe off-label, off but here um, suddenly with, with COVID, doctors are not allowed to use their their common sense and their their usual um, prescribing um, practices. But they um, presumably can still do off-label prescription using the exemption, you know, following a bona fide yes, consultation. What's is that the MHRA is telling the pharmacists not to supply if it's for COVID. So there's really um, serious barriers being put up at every level. And if a doctor is prescribing, um, then they're getting questioned and even um, disciplined. 
um, they're getting questioned by their their hospital board or whatever. And so, has the GM has the GMC in the UK been involved in any cases on ivermectin yet? I haven't. I'm not that I'm aware of. And um, yes, and 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 certainly, um, but but I think that 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 we're we're almost there because doctors are being threatened and intimidated. Brilliant. So, so Tess, that's that's so important that people understand. This is about a grassroots push now. Um, please understand that that you will you will receive some negativity from from authorities, from parliamentarians, from friends and family even who have been indoctrinated to believe. So that the media is giving a very one sided picture, and of course, um, in terms of uh, dissent, um, have you been on? you know, mainstream television talking about ivermectin? <laughs> I would love to be on mainstream TV talking about ivermectin. No, it's very, the mainstream media is completely colluding uh, to suppress ivermectin because, because they've signed this agreement to not, um, you know, to not, for some reason it's being perceived as harmful to the vaccination um, campaign, I think. And so, and they've signed this agreement, a trusted news initiative with, um, with BBC and Google and Microsoft and all of that to keep um, the message on vaccines clear. And, and so they seem to have, they seem to be targeting information on, on generic treatments like ivermectin uh, and calling it misinformation. And you know, emphasizing that it could be terribly harmful because it hasn't been approved. Please do not listen to them. That is absolute nonsense. And please don't don't use Wikipedia as your source of uh, good information on ivermectin because that page is uneditable. We are unable to edit it, and it is just nonsense. Now, this is an extraordinary distortion of science and. Frankly, this is why we're speaking today on Speaking Naturally, because it's um, we are talking to scientists who are essentially being shut down across mainstream channels. Um, but Tess, thank you so much. You've done an incredible amount of work to, to get the word out. It's now time for the public to do their thing. So um, we're really going to um, push this out and get people to, to support you and go to Bird Group um, and, and really follow your work there absolutely critical thanks rob well we've been taken down on vimeo linkedin uh, posts we've been taken down youtube and um what was and and also um facebook our stuff gets taken down off regularly so those um so you know people are sharing on those platforms uh, don't be surprised if you say anything about ivermectin so the web the website is the best place to go for information um and if people put out information on their own social media feeds it's more likely to be missed by the bots and the censors isn't it so that that's why it's so important for the grassroots to get involved so so please our audience could you uh, recognize that it is essential that you play your part because um people like tess cannot um you know that they're much more likely to get censored than you will be so um really important tess Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Um, we're going to get the word out um, and I'm sure we'll talk to you in the, in the future soon. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Bye.